This is a CJSR podcast. Volunteer powered. Listener supported. Campus and community. Radio. Podcast. Podcast. Radio. Radio and and podcast. (laughs) And art is all about sharing ideas and building upon ideas. Right. So food can also be seen as as art. Hi, my name is Savetha Cartwright, and you're listening to That's Food. That's Food is a podcast from CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station, handmade with love by University of Alberta students, telling the backstory to food in Edmonton, one meal at a time. A few months ago, New York Times Cooking posted a picture of Nanaimo bars on their Instagram page with the caption, Canadians, this one's for you. Canadians didn't like what they saw, and the post, along with our opinion of it, quickly became national news. A commenter wrote, We didn't speak to Canadians, but here's a story about Canada. This reminded me of similar instances with other foods. So I wondered if Nanaimo bars can be appropriated. To explore this, I interviewed Dr. Helen Valianatos. Dr. Valianatos is the Associate Dean of Students as well as a professor in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Alberta. Her research focuses on the topics of food, gender, body, and health. The conversation took a life of its own and we explored more than just the nanobars. Let's get into it. So what is appropriation? Huh, it's, um, I think most simply put, it could we could see it as a group in power relative to another group utilizing the traditions, the practices, the beliefs, and reframing them in a way that makes sense to their, to the dominant group's understanding without actually truly understanding what the other culture's ways of doing are. So they just take pieces, for example, and apply them in a way that makes sense to their own ways of thinking. And it is a power dynamic because often it's the more powerful taking something from those that are less powerful. So in terms of food, this has come up as people question even um, the creation of cookbooks. And a lot of food shows actually do this too, right? People travel around the world. It's really cool. I enjoy watching these kinds of shows too, right? Uh, People travel around the world exploring how folks eat and how they grow their food in different places. But then when they then publish those recipes, right? Without any of that knowledge, taking that knowledge and publishing those recipes and utilizing those recipes in their own restaurants and so on without payment of any kind back to those original peoples, right? That's, that can be a form of appropriation. So you touched on this already a little bit, but I still want to explicitly ask, why is appropriation an issue? I think in our world today, we are coming to terms with histories of social cultural inequities that are based in colonial histories and imperialism. And those power dynamics have continued to present day. 
And as people um, are becoming aware of the ramifications of those historical relationships, we are trying, we as a society are trying to figure out a way to move forward that, that is more equitable for all. I think that's the most simple way I could put it. Does that make sense? Yes, for sure. Thinking about Nanaimo Bar specifically and how Canadians took issue with how New York Times presented Nanaimo Bar, do you believe then that that is a form of culinary appropriation? That's, again, a very, very interesting question because I think it also speaks to Canadians' perceptions of their relationship to the U.S., Right. So we often as Canadians compare ourselves and it's um, seen as an inequitable relationship. Right. And and so, you know, if it was published in even the UK, I wonder, or Australia, if it would have been the same reaction. I also think it's really intriguing for Canadians to identify what is Canadian Food. That alone is a very complicated question. And it's, it's important because food is such an important component of our identities. And in lots of different places, food is an important part of national identities. But for Canadians, where we are, we have, we've, I think we've struggled to to come up with a way of identifying what makes us Canadian and how that can be symbolized through food. So for example, when we hosted the Vancouver Olympics, athletes and maybe others as well, maybe coaches and stuff were given little gift baskets of food. And in those gift baskets, can you guess what the food items might've been? I have, I'm not sure. Nanaimo's hopefully. (laughs) The Nanaimo bars is interesting because that's that's often identified as something very Canadian, but maple syrup, mm-hmm. right, and smoked salmon, right. So, to, um, and I, I, I think that might have been it. I'll have to I'll have to look it up now myself to recall what else was in those those baskets. It, but it's interesting because it's it's hard to identify something that is Canadian and Nanaimo bars are uh, something that was invented. They have their own specific history. So they become that much more tangible of an item, right? Everything else is much more variable. It's regionally variable. It's any kind of food we can think of. The, 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 I was gonna say First Nations foods, but of course there's so much variation in First Nations foods across, across Canada. So it's not so easy to identify specific food item. But the Nanaimo bars for some reason has really captured people's imaginations and butter tarts. That's another baked good that that is very, um, I think, important to our, to a lot of Canadians identities of at least uh, sweet tooth identities, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, certainly. So expanding on that a little bit, Britain, I think, recently announced that their national food or national dish is chicken tikka masala, mm-hmm. which me from a South Asian background and heritage, I find that quite bizarre. 
I thought maybe fish and chips might be their, their national food. So is that culinary appropriation where a country that colonized mm. another country has now taken up their food as their own national food? Yeah, because yes uh, and no, right? Because it also changes, right? It's not, it's not the same kind of food item that would be eaten in South Asia. And then, and then again, speaking of diversity of cuisines, South Asia, of course, has, <laughs> there's so many different kinds of food items, right? So there is something specific to the history of that particular dish, right? Even the spicing that is altered over time that um, speaks to the taste histories of a particular group of people. And yeah, it originally came because of colonial histories. There's no, there's no question about that. Right. But at the same time, I mean, curries are so popular, right? They're, they're what they're, they're the go-to for what so many people eat um, in the UK, regardless of what their own ethnocultural histories are. So circling back to what I had said earlier about the people that travel and um, learn about food in other places and then suggesting that that is a form of appropriation. But there, this is debated because we could see these traveling chefs or food blog people or whatever their work lives are as artists. And art is all about sharing ideas and building upon ideas, right? So food can also be seen as, as art, as people create new tastes. And then is it art or is it appropriation is, is a more complicated question. Absolutely. And that also uh, begs the question, at what point is, at what point does it go from being appropriated to being integrated to being <laughs> a unique dish? You mentioned that chicken tikka masala is effectively a unique dish to Britain. Yeah. Even though it came from, you know, people who were colonized, moved to Britain, and then they created this dish, and now it's integrated. Um, some might say that this is a Brit uniquely British dish. A lot of people might say it's appropriated. And we see that with other dishes as well, like Pad Thai. A lot of Western chefs are holding classes, teaching people how to make Pad Thai, who have no Thai lineage. They maybe went to Thailand once, and their version of Pad Thai is miles away from any pad thai you can possibly find in Thailand. So if it is barely reminiscent of the pad thai available in Thailand, can you call it pad thai? <laughs> and yet, where is the role for, for food fusion, right? So it's, it's um, there are no easy answers to this, right? Because when I was in India, I was going to say at least 10 years ago, but it's over 10 years ago. There was a lot of food fusion there already, right? People were actively, um, and, and, the, and there's the food fusion that happens at the, at the chef level, like the restaurants, that level. But everyday people are playing with recipes and tastes and things that they see others consuming and um, start mingling foods in different ways. So in the, in the household where I lived, they would cook pasta, but it was not like Italian pasta, 
or European pasta, it was very different. It was modified to fit the tastes of that family, at least, and their preferences. And, the, and of course, Chinese food is consumed also, but it's not the same. Right. So this, this is where the questions becomes much more complicated, I think, right? My own family are immigrants here to Canada. And so I grew up on our, on our household foods, but then by the time I was in a teenager, mom started noti- not just noticing how other people for cooking their food, but sharing recipes and started to incorporate, but not willy nilly, right? Started to incorporate certain foods into her repertoire, but then changing them too, right? And so this is where I think food is also a bit of like an art object, right? Taking an idea, a concept, playing with it in a way that makes sense to one's own identity in the, in the end. I had a a very discombobulating moment when I moved to Edmonton and went into a Greek bakery. I was very, um, I was just very new to town, was just really didn't know the foodscape here at all and saw this uh, Greek bakery and I went in and I was completely taken aback when the person came out from behind and what they were Laotian. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this, and they were like, yeah, no, this, this was, um, this was owned by Greeks. And, and then I, you know, worked with them for like six months and, uh, you know, basically apprentice learned how to make the, the foods and then like took over the place. And I just thought in some ways that was beautiful, right? Like this is so cool the way it was an awesome moment of one's expectations being challenged, right? But at the same time, showing how food can be so cool as a form of communication and and across cultural identities and cultural boundaries. So there's no easy answers to your question because I think it really, it almost depends on the the moment, the, the people's intent, right? And the way their openness in coming to, to food. At the same time, we should be critical. We should be thinking about how we're consuming food. Are, are the people producing the food being compensated appropriately? You know, are the, the specialist foods sometimes that come from different parts of the world, are those people um, getting something back for sharing their food knowledge? So one thing that you mentioned was how when you went to India, you had pasta, but it was nothing like the European pasta. It was very much adapted to local tastes. Previously, asking you about what appropriation is, you mentioned that it is more of a power dynamic. So in case of pasta in India, what are the power dynamics? Do Indians hold the higher power or do Europeans because they colonized to begin with? No, it's, uh, yeah, I I wouldn't, uh... I wouldn't argue that that uh, Indian Indians or back whenever pasta would have come would have had the higher power. That's almost more of, a, of an example of how globalization is more complex and multi-directional, really. So what? So when people are are focusing in on appropriation, it very much as as a concept is very it very much does rely on power dynamics. 
And don't forget those power dynamics will also shift over time too, just to further complicate the question, right? <laughs> so if we go back in time, if we go back to like the initial colonialism, food was how we eat today was not the way people were eating, right? So, so many foods came from the Americas, foods that are central to national identities, like speaking of pasta and tomato sauce, tomatoes came from the Americas. They didn't exist before that in the European diet, right? Potatoes associated with Ireland so intricately to fish and chips earlier, the UK, right? The chips part, like, you know, didn't exist, right? So over time, we certainly see foods become central to people's ways of eating and ways of thinking about themselves. But if we step back and look, take a more long-term historical lens, it's very, very interesting to see how food can tell us something about power relations relations over time and how they have sometimes changed over time. Sometimes they've just propagated those inequities and they remain to this day. Yeah, those are really good points you bring up again. You know, mentioning tomatoes coming from the Americas. Now, when we think of Italian food, I think everyone immediately thinks of pasta and tomato sauce. Tomatoes came from Americas. Pasta came from noodles in China. That's the original pasta and the Italians got the noodles from there and turned it into their own personal thing. So now it's their own, just like chicken tikka masala is very much British. So at what point, again, you know, one wonders, does it go from appropriation to authentic authenticity or appreciation? Yes, authenticity is another very difficult concept to, <laughs> to interrogate and it's important to interrogate that as to what is authentic. There are arguably there are no easy answers here, and 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 it's also interesting how people have um, food can also be a key way that immigrants, people who at least do not have a high social status in their um, settlement country can use food as a way to, to get a foothold. So a lot of immigrant communities set up like restaurants, like, you know, restaurants can be a way to, as a way to earn money in a way that is accessible to to people however once again typically people are changing their tastes right they're serving they're shifting the rest the recipes to serve the needs of the people that are coming into the restaurant and we see this over and over again with different ethnocultural cuisines it really doesn't matter which one we're looking at there are shifts that happen into what foods are served so it's but you meant you mentioned authentic, which is what is what made me think about this and go down this road. But there's also a group of people that like look for the, what is authentic, right? So they're 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 looking for restaurants that have that are um, not catering to the dominant tastes of their settlement country, and so there's. That's an interesting tension too. Then what is authentic? And, and it also risks stereotyping the food that is being reproduced in these restaurants, whether they are so-called authentic restaurants or less so. 
right? Because inevitably those ethnocultural cuisines are much more compl complex than what is being shared in a, in a restaurant. So the ethics of eating quickly get very, very complicated here. <laughs> but yes, there's uh, going, going back to the power dynamics, apps, I mean, colonial, I mean, how, we're not gonna argue about, <laughs> we're not gonna debate the effects of colonialism. It, it's very clear that there were power dynamics there. So then I wonder, stretching the definition of authenticity and appropriation, are we appropriating our own food to benefit from our food to serve, again, a group with arguably higher power? Mm -hmm. I think um, there's a, there's been a lot of um, scholars writing about, about this and, and framing it more in terms of like the ethics or the morality of, of consuming of consumption, you know, not just of food, but of clothes, of art even, right? Of so many different practices, healthcare practices too would be another one. If people also, they're doing this because they know that they won't be able to sell their products if they don't change. They learn from experience, right? So, and, it's, and the story is repeated over and over and over again with each different newer immigrant community that comes in. They might participate in things like heritage days, right? They don't, if they truly sold their very traditional things, they might not sell anything. So they have to figure out how to, how to change things up for the second and the next year when they, when they go back. So, there, yes, there, there are power dynamics there. And even the, um, there are scholars uh, who have written about foodies and, and the potential, well, we, we can use the term foodies to simply mean like people that are, in, you know, very much enjoy food and are adventurous eaters and love to explore through food, other ways of thinking and being. But some scholars have pointed out that a lot of, of uh, people that have identified as foodies are also in a privileged social location. So who can experiment with food? Who has the privilege to experiment with food? Even within our houses, who can risk um, purchasing food, experimenting with it, and then tossing it if it, if it, if it doesn't turn out? as opposed to those that just cannot waste their dollars on, on something that might not be edible by the time they, they cook it. That's a really good point. I never actually thought of it in a, at a household level, and that is true. And one thing that I wonder about quite a bit is and I have done this myself. I traveled to Thailand recently and I loved the food there. And ever since I came back, I've been incorporating more you know, Thai style uh, cooking and, and meshing it with my own Desi style because I am born and bred Desi. So whatever I make is not truly Pakistani. 
and it's not truly Thai or Japanese or French. Like whatever cuisine I end up making, it still has a DC touch to it. Because my preference for salt or my preference for spice will be different than what a Thai person would prefer. And how far away can I take it from the original dish that's a Pad Thai? How far can it come from the authentic thing that I learned in Thailand until I can no longer call it Pad Thai? That's uh, when it changes so that it's no longer Pad Thai is a very, very interesting question that I don't, I, I I don't know that I have a good answer for it. Like, is, is there some core, is, is, is any dish, is, it, is there some core elements to that dish and no matter the variations otherwise, it could still be called that dish. There's, there are some dishes like that, right? That would have those core elements and then otherwise could be completely variable. But I just want to emphasize though that food sharing and food experimentation is also has also always been there, right? And and that's that's where that art comes from too, right? That's how tastes change and cuisines develop over time, even between families, even like within a, a Greek, but then there's regional areas too. Like there was always food exchanges, right? So that part of food appreciation and experimentation is also real. And is perhaps always experienced through travels, like you mentioned, Marco Polo traveling and bringing back noodles earlier in the, in the program. The, the, I mean, these kinds of exchanges have always been happening. We go back into like the archeological record and we can see food being exchanged from the Mediterranean up to the UK, you know, in the dark, so-called dark ages. Right, so, so this, this isn't, in its most positive way, it could be seen as an exchange of ideas in the end, right? An openness to growth and, and to learning new ways of doing things that is practiced through food and taste. And that could be a good thing. Absolutely. I think exchanging of ideas can only bring good things about and food appropriation, appreciation and authenticity is such a complex topic to discuss. I think, of course, perhaps the thing we should always go back to time and again is the power dynamic. I think the powers are askew, then we're probably looking at appropriation and we should be more cautious. But if the powers are more balanced, it's probably appreciation. But what is authentic? That's still something that could be it's a whole <laughs> books have been written about about this, and books have been written about food tourism as well. Right. So um, yes, the conversations could certainly continue. <laughs> Circle back to Nanaimo bars now. I had asked a question originally, can Nanaimo bars be appropriated? We've had an incredible conversation, but maybe after all this, con uh, after this hour, I would ask you again, can Nanaimo bars be appropriated? I would love to hear what people listening would think about that. 
because I wonder if it isn't even the standpoint, like the original people that invented Nanam or bars, what would their answer be versus the people from Nanaimo BC today, you know, versus people from BC versus people from Canada, right? All of, I'm sure there's Canadians that have never tasted an Nanaimo bar. They must be out there. There must be some, right? So, like, is is it the New York Times if it had been published somewhere different? Like, would there be the same reaction? So, I think all of those things really need to be thought about. It's not so easy. It's not black and white. Just, just in this case. So there we have it. We started with the Naimo bars and took a short trip around the world. For that's food. I'm Savetha Cartwright where I leave you with more questions than answers. Today's episode was produced by me, with the help from the That's Food team. Thank you to Dr. Valianatos for speaking with us. Our music is by Doug Hoyer. You can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And on our website, thatsfood.transistor.fm. You can contact us at thatsfood at cjsr.com. We are That's Food CJSR on Facebook and Instagram. That's Food is produced at CJSR in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. But is it food? That's food! Again, I'm not counting down. I'm not counting it down. Wait, we're not much. counting?